0: Welcome back to Police Pod Talk. And once again, I have a caller on the line who wants to express some of their concerns and feelings about all the events that have unfolded here in the last couple of weeks. On the phone today, I've got Stacy. You can say hey, Stacy. Hello. All right. I want to make sure they know you're out there. Stacy is uh, in the Indianapolis area. Uh, she works at a uh, middle school, and uh, she would like to just talk to us a little bit today and express a little bit of things that she's seen and uh, some of her concerns. And also, we'll get to the point where we can talk about what we need to do better. So, Stacy, I'm going to kind of give you the mic and let you roll with it. Uh, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, once again, my name is Stacy. I am a principal in a middle-sized middle school um, in the urban area of Indianapolis. Um, I've been in administration now for about six years. Prior to that, I was at turnaround school uh, teaching English. Uh, So I taught English for a total of about five years, uh, years—ninth, 10th, and 12th grade English.
0: Where did you grow up? What kind of a neighborhood?
1: All right. So I actually moved up Uh, quite often when I was younger due to my dad's position. Um, And so I was born in Fort Wayne and uh, lived in a predominantly white suburban area, uh, pretty affluent. After Fort Wayne, we moved on to Marion. If you're not familiar with Marion, I suggest you do a little bit of research on some of the racial tension there. Spent about four or five years in Marion. Then we moved up to Michigan, Battle Creek, Michigan, uh, very much different from those two neighborhoods, uh, suburban uh, neighborhoods that I lived uh, when I was younger. So Michigan was a little bit different, a little mm. bit more African-American.
0: All right. As you're going through your life, you're moving from place to place. Did you have any interaction with police, be it bad or good?
1: When I was younger, um, I would say elementary school. When we were in Fort Wayne, we did live in a predominantly white neighborhood, and one of my first kind of encounters i guess with with police would have been my brother is about 10 years older than me and i remember we all sat down at the dinner table we were talking well my dad was talking to us about my brother who fit the description he had gotten pulled over he was taken out of his car with his friends and they were frisked right outside of the they were near the 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 mall broad daylight and i remember my mom crying my mom was crying and shaking um and I didn't understand the the magnitude or the seriousness of the, of the situation due to my young age, but I also do remember uh, my dad also getting. We were taking a drive one time. It was just me and my dad. We used to like to take drives through the neighborhoods, just kind of some quality time. And we got followed one time by a police officer, all the way to our house. And my dad, you know, just kind of brushed it off and said, "This is this is our normal." But it was always a a, a conversation. Make sure when you go into the store. You know, you you have a receipt. <laughs> right. Make sure you have a receipt. You have a bag. Don't touch anything. Don't mm. touch anything. And I thought it was just because I'm a little kid and I'm hyper and I just want to touch everything. But now I understand the implications. Then when we moved to Marion, I remember when the KKK came to town. Um, streets were blocked off, and we did not go anywhere that day uh, or for you know. Uh, and we had to have a family conversation about what was going on. So those were just the the, the childhood memories. the police right
0: any Mm -hmm. memories of police uh, as an adult
1: yes they became more vivid as an adult I remember not even as an adult I was I was in high school and I was probably not even a block from my house and I was coming from my best friend's home and it was later at night I had fell asleep and I had gotten up I said I gotta go home I gotta go home And so I was on my way home and it was later and I got pulled over and I, and I remember telling the police officer, I live right there. I could point. I could live right. I live right there. I live right there. And he was like, no, you don't. Cause it was a larger, it was a larger home. He's like, you don't live there. Where are you going? Why are you over here? And I'm just crying and I'm crying. And, um, And he's like, you didn't stop at, you know, you didn't, you, you, you didn't stop at the light and you didn't, you you were going too fast and all of these things. He's like, why are your eyes so red? Are you under the, you know, are you under the influence? All of these kinds of things. And I'm like, no, I'm 17. I was just at my friend's house. (laughs) It was, it was a little bit, it was a lot. I got home and my, my mom was just like, are you okay? Are you okay? I'm so glad you're okay. And I was just like, he's thinking I was, you know, I was, I was young, once again, young thinking he just thought that I was under the influence and I was just my eyes were red because I had woken up and so it was that that was another reminder another reminder of where where I was
0: you said two things I want to go back on because I got a funny feeling there's going to be some people asking me this question you Mm -hmm. said that your brother fit the Mm -hmm. description what did that mean
1: Mm -hmm. um I guess there was a robbery in the area and it was a an african-american male and i guess my brother fit the description um it was him and three other of his friends in the car i don't know exactly where the robbery was or what type what they what had happened but the description was an african-american male and i guess they all must have fit the description and all of his friends i remember all of his friends they were all different shades of of brown my brother he's very caramel he has another friend who's who's a little darker in hue. And then he has another friend who's significantly lighter, but they all they all fit the description.
0: All right, I just want to make sure we got an understanding of that before I got an email on what you were saying there. <laughs> so we cleared that up. So okay, yeah. and then one other thing you said after you got pulled over by the police, you're on your way home, you're you're mm-hmm. crying, you're talking to your mother. You said this mm-hmm. is just another reminder, another reminder of what?
1: Another reminder that. That, I, that I'm that i black. Another reminder that these are the situations that I'm going to encounter. I'm not going to be given the benefit of the doubt or even given any leeway because of the color of my skin.
0: During your growing up years, did you have white friends?
1: I did. Okay. I did.
0: Okay. Did you ever discuss any of this or did they ever know these things were happening to you?
1: Um... I ha- they had to know because i wasn't invited to sleepovers
0: <laughs> hmm. okay
1: um i remember one girl excuse me i remember one girl um she was one of my best friends and her brother used to say the most disgusting things to me he was older than we were he used to just say vile things about me and he was just he would always laugh it off and she would apologize for him but we would always go to another, we, we started to go to a different person's house and we'd all play there, outside. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of outside, not inside, outside, outside.
0: And and this is in Fort Wayne, Indiana.
1: Fort Wayne and in Marion.
0: Okay, Fort Wayne and Marion. And we're talking about what years? We're talking about like, uh...
1: Ooh, I would 90s, say... The 90s? The 90s, yep. Okay. I was maybe up to 98. Okay. I was in, mirroring up to 98.
0: Mm-hmm. So that's not that long ago. No, but not it, at all. Okay, but it sounded like something in the 60s. Now that
1: you say that, yes.
0: <laughs> okay, yes. Well, I'm just saying. All righty. Okay, yes. and, and as you become a, a, an adult, you move on, you go to school, you get your own education, and you become a principal. Yes, sir. Okay. How long have you been doing that? This is my
1: sixth year in administration. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: And during that time, you, you're you dealing with a lot of young adults, young people. What are you doing to help them to never have to see what you've seen or deal with what you've dealt with?
1: Um, so first and foremost, I think that my presence allows for them to see and understand um, it goes back to the Marian Wright Edelman um, quote of you can't be who you cannot see. And so my presence allows for them to be a, a, able to see the, that they have a role model that they can look up to mm-hmm. and that there is that there is some commonalities. I'm there to listen first and foremost. My kids have a voice. They always have a voice and they always have an advocate. And so my door is open to them always. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, constantly having... I call them critical conversations, crucial conversations, with my staff about the racial disparities that are going on in education. You know, the achievement gap—that's a huge one. So, you know, our, our African American students continue to to lag behind their white counterparts due to uh, curricular non-representation and even bias uh, among teachers. And so putting forth the data in front of my teachers, we talk about the discipline data. What are you writing up that kid for? And what does noncompliance mean? Um, is that your bias coming through? Are you just not understanding the culture? Also, being sure that we're becoming more culturally responsive in our curriculum and making it relevant to the kids that are sitting in front of us.
0: There is a lot of teaching and learning going on, not only with the kids, but with the uh... Teachers also, right?
1: Yes, sir. Mm
0: -hmm. Wow. Now that we've got a kind of a picture of who you are and where you come from, Mm kind of tell me how did this hit you when this entire thing unfolded with uh, Mr. Floyd and the officer and the protesting?
1: (laughs) I'm going to be very honest. It it, it hit me very hard as an African-American woman. I look at – I sit in very – I, I've sat in many meetings in the past couple of months, and I was the only, only African American. This was a reminder that I, am, that I had been dealing with a lot of microaggressions in meetings from my, my male counterparts mm-hmm. and even my, my white colleagues. And um, so to me, this was an opportunity to vocalize and, under, and express my sentiments, and it's cre- created a, a door to be opened. I hate that we are we have had to result to this, but now we're able to have conversations. I'm able to see that there are allies where we're, we're coming. I see I see a lot of unity through this. I do.
0: The question is, has been asked over and over. Do you agree with the way the protesters handle the situation? With the violence? Well,
1: I, I think that we have to to differentiate between the types of people that are there and i think the media has has really you know skewed what a protester is and so we have to define who our protesters are if we look at the true definition of the protesters that are out there peacefully with a goal in mind and are speaking on behalf of the black lives that have been the black bodies that have, have been laid to rest at the hands of uh, corrupt police, then the protesters are doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. Now we have these outlier groups who are coming in and doing things that are invoking violence or looting, or things you know things that are not aligned with the the, the goals of the protesters. Uh, I would say I don't agree with that part, but with the protesters, wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly.
0: And there's nothing wrong with protesting, right? No. All right, and you just hit on something that I know is going to be a question. Mm -hmm. What is your take on the police and their involvement on how they handled or how they responded to this? To which portion? Oh, I'm sorry. That only makes sense. (laughs) 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 To the protesters who were going into the street and uh, and, uh, not the ones breaking glass and things like that, breaking windows and burning cars. I'm talking about the ones when they started to bleed over into the street. Did you like the way the police responded or could have been different?
1: I think that as a whole we have to once again we have to to separate and think about as a whole you know that's you know we can't say that all all police are not doing the are are doing the wrong thing as a whole the police uh, what i have seen are responding appropriately but then we see this small minority population of police that are not doing the right thing that are becoming aggressive that are antagonizing the protesters to which we are seeing this overwhelming amount of Anger spewing um, during these protests, and it's sad that 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 our media, you know, is is capitalizing off of this minority population, uh, this minority uh, situation uh, that's taking place. This this violence, this this corruption—they're focusing on that because that's what they do. they they're there for news. And that's going to be what people are looking at. And so we, we are focusing in on, and thinking that this is what's going on everywhere. It's not what's going on everywhere. There are peaceful protests that are taking place. There are police officers. There are National Guard members. There are mayors. There are council people who are in the streets doing the right thing and, and addressing this in the right manner. But we also have others that are not. And that's where we need to, to start focusing in our attention and making sure that those people who are not there for the right, those righteous people, are removed and taken care of so that we can, can, so that we can get the main goals of, of this, this movement um, to be obtained.
0: What are you telling, and I don't even know if you have a family or not, are you telling your, I got to ask that question first, do you have a family?
1: I do not have any children, but when I think of my family, I think of my my students at school Okay. because those are my babies.
0: Okay, and we've already kind of talked about how you're helping them along the way, helping them to grow up Mm -hmm. Okay. and educating them with what is going on. Tell me, what do you think will help this entire situation? You said there's been a lot of good going on, but give me an idea what needs to happen more on the protesting side and also on the police side to make this thing go better
1: first and foremost for the police side i think that knowledge is power as an educator once you learn someone's story once you learn someone's history you are able to empathize with that person and take a walk in their shoes and so if we were to to move forward we have to know where these people have came from where we have came from and why we are angry and why we are responding in that way and so that's number one key. We have to become knowledgeable and become more empathetic. And, and what that looks like, whether that's a training, seminars, listening, forums, you know, panels, etc. That's that's where we have to go. Next, we have to, uh, number two, we have to identify some, some de-escalation tactics. We have to have some de-escalation tactics So that we can begin to when people are angry we know how to bring them back down Um, there are ways to to handle confrontation without violence and so we to begin to to de-escalate and then lastly it comes down down to accountability the third one most importantly is accountability police have to be held accountable to the same moral standards as all citizens even though they are carrying a a weapon and they have this type of power Um, they still have to be held accountable completing paperwork when when there is uh, kind of like a, not necessarily aggression, but when there are um, physical, when when something becomes physical, there needs to be a, a paper trail. Mm-hmm. We need to be doing that. Also, we have to be sure that they are provided with discipline measures um, and consequences for their actions when they don't abide by the code that they, they're sworn in by. And so just those three main key points there, I think, will really move us in the right direction. Uh, and, and for our protesters i think that we have to come together for and remember our why remember the why and why why we're doing this mm-hmm. and be patient yeah. we have to be patient be patient remember the why um and, and stronger unity i think there needs to be some stronger unity and um more um i think that we we need to be more strategic got to be more strategic more strategic okay. mm-hmm. in terms of the demands
0: okay i'm going to ask you because you said something that when you sit in a meeting you're the only person of color in the meeting yes sir and you're you have white co-workers do your white co-workers understand what you're going through have they ever you ever talked to them about your feelings of any of this <sighs> well oh, so, before you yeah, before you yeah. answer that before you answer that <laughs> yeah. Your feelings of not so much this incident, but things that have led up to this incident that you've experienced. Have you ever talked to them about it?
1: Um, so it's been abroad. So we, as a, um, as a team, um, a kind of a, a, a colleague team, we, we have a book study. And the book study has case studies uh, in regards to kind of multicultural scenarios that have gone on across the country and how you would address them. In terms of people's specific lives, specific experiences, no, that was they had never heard my they never heard my story until two weeks ago, and um they heard they heard my they they heard my voice, and they had to a- acknowledge my black, and that was the first time they'd ever done that. I received a couple of emails. I never, you know, I apologize. It was everything from apologies to not acknowledge to acknowledging who I was. It was a wide range. It was a wide range. A mm-hmm. wide. But until I had said that, no, they hadn't thought about it.
0: Okay, now let let me talk. Not your coworkers. I'm talking about your friends now. You, mm-hmm. you obviously have some white friends. Yes. Give me that. Is it the same thing or not?
1: No, not at all. So the friends that I have, uh, we are. They're my friends for a reason. We share everything under the sun, and they know my feelings about every issue. Every concern that I've had in my life, they offer a listening ear, unbiased, and are very empathetic. And I, yeah, they're great. They're great.
0: So they're true friends, not Facebook friends.
1: Not at all. Not at all. <laughs>
0: okay. I just want people to know there's a difference. <laughs> Huge difference. Yeah. Okay. Huge difference. You have seen some good, and it's, it's hard to say this, but you've seen some good come out of this entire thing of. That happened to Mr. Floyd.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it is swinging in the right direction and feeling good to you. Mm-hmm. And what's going to keep that going? Give me a what's going to keep us in this.
1: What's going to keep us in it is cr- uh, creating long-term action steps to ensure that there are there's equity for all. You know, our forefathers, they, they, they preached freedom for everyone. And once we have true freedom, For everyone, that's when we know that we've reached the goal. But we have to continue having conversations. We have to continue to be listening. We have to continue to be uh, empathetic and compassionate. That's what's going to keep us going. Mm -hmm. That's what's going to keep us going. I was in a staff meeting the other day, and we have a racial equity team uh, at my school. And when we first started, it was all black. We've now added about seven more allies to the team. And that's what keeps us going. That's what keeps me hopeful, to know that there are righteous people who want to do and who want to know and who want to do. Right. That's, that's what makes me, that's what makes me proud.
0: One school, one person at a time, one school at a time, one neighborhood at a time, I guess.: that, Yes, yeah. <laughs> I yes. hear you. You don't have any hard feelings toward police officers, right?
1: I don't have any hard feelings, but I have fear.
0: And and is that fear something that you grew up with and that was uh, you learned? Yes. Is that a something that needs to be fixed amongst people of color and police? We need to also build that bridge back. Yes. Okay. Yes. So with all the things that you talked about that we need to do, we've got to build that relationship up with the police officers too, in our communities.
1: Yes, we do.
0: Okay. All right. I'm I'm just throwing these out there, and you giving me a yes. That's quite all right. I understand. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yes. It's been a rough couple of weeks here. I'm going to ask your opinion on this, and if you don't know, you don't know. There's a a football player who took a knee a while back during the Mm -hmm. National Anthem, Mm -hmm. and he took a lot of flack about it. And then here recently, (laughs) another football player who's still playing made a comment about it. Give me your opinion (laughs) on it, and what do you see when they're taking a knee?
1: You know, when, when that football player initially took a knee, I completely understood. And and yet he was ostracized to the point where he wasn't even able to, to find a position in the NFL anymore. Whereas he's one of the he was the leading quarterback in the NFL at the time. And so, you know, to know that once again a black man who's trying to have a voice, it was taken from him. Mm-hmm. It was taken from him when he was just trying to voice his opinion, um, and to be associated with the flag and you know, it was just so it was so misconstrued, and, and he was not listened to, and, and that's, that's frustrating. And here we are, how many years later, back at the same idea, at the same idea, and then for another football player to, to dismiss, <laughs> to dismiss this person's feelings. But what makes it even worse is there is a Fox News reporter who was, was reporting on this whole situation and was saying that a certain basketball player should just keep dribbling and not worry about any politics because that's not his wheelhouse. But then comments on this white football player and, you know, is is giving him the opportunity to have an opinion about the whole situation. And so once again, we are being blackballed. We are, we are our voices being removed and, and being dismissed. We are once again being dismissed. And so it, it's you have to st- step back and just say, when are we going to be heard? And and really, when are, when are people going to understand the why? Right. Why? Um, so, yeah.
0: <laughs> I was hoping you'd give me <laughs> your opinion on that. Because, <laughs> boy, that, that just hit the news the other day. And it's like, wow, here we go again. <laughs> so, here we go
1: again. Yeah. I, so, so it's like we have our police officers, we have our protesters, and we have our news. You know, journalists have a, a duty. To report, oftentimes they're so opinionated. Mm-hmm. I need you to take your opinion out a little bit, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just a little bit, and just do a little bit of reporting. <laughs> but gotcha. but when you're falling apart, you're, you're falling in line with all of the racial end windowed issues and saying wrong things. It, it comes out so bad.
0: <laughs> I got you. I hear you. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I tell you what, I am so glad. You tell me, am I missing anything that you want to get off your chest? Because I don't want to end too soon. But I, I don't want no. you to hang up the phone and go, "Oh, I should have said this."
1: No, not at all. I, I just think that we are once again we're moving in the right direction. I'm excited for the next school year to be back with my kids so that we can begin to, to tackle to tackle this this bear that we've been dealing with for so many years. And I know our kids are are ready. And willing to listen, um, these are, our, you know, these are our future. These are the kids who are going to to reap the benefits, um, but also to carry on what we're trying to do right now. And so they need to become more informed. They need to become um, knowledgeable so that they can too speak on the topic. But I'm just proud to be able to witness something as great as what we are seeing right now. Um, people are seeing that Black lives do matter.
0: Well Stacy, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day and as a principal, I know you've got a lot of things to do. <laughs> Zoom meetings you got to get to, <laughs> keeping everybody online and hoping they all we can all come back to school one day. Mm-hmm. I mean that's a big wonderful. thing too. yeah. Stacy, I do appreciate it. You, it was wonderful talking with you. I'm glad you took the time out, and gave me a call. Thank you for everything you do for the young people. Thank you for being the teachers and I know you teachers aren't getting paid what you should. But I, here's the here's the funny part about it. I know there's a whole lot of people now, mm. parents going, "Hi, oh, man, let's pay them whatever, so I can get these kids out of the house, because <laughs> I can't do this. I can I know it. I'm telling you. Yeah. <laughs> even even a third grader's work is, you know, homework is tough for me. Right? <laughs> so, yeah. I you guys do more than people realize. But even even this uh, pandemic has brought a lot of that out, and uh, we really thank mm. you for what you do. All righty. Mm-hmm. Stacy, right, thank, you. thank you very much. And, folks, thanks for tuning in to Police Pod Talk. We will catch you next week. Thanks again for hanging out with us. Remember, you can always go to policepodtalk at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook at Cleveland Jr. or Police Pod Talk. Thanks again. We'll see you next week.